0: You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 14, and I am recording on Saturday, January eleventh, 2020. Happy new decade, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful New Year's Eve celebration and that 2020 is being good to you. There's a lot of drama going on in the world, so I hope everyone is staying sane and maybe reading more books than usual to help calm us all down. It turns out that I read 140 books in 2019, which I was disappointed to see was one less than I read last year, but that's okay. Um, I had a good winter break at home. We didn't go anywhere. The kids really wanted to stay at home and just relax, and that is what we did. I spent... A lot of time in pajamas. I didn't read that much over break. I didn't even start reading until the end of the second week of vacation, and I read three books. But really, I just relaxed as much as possible. There was a lot of binge watching. I watched season two of You, which I didn't realize was based on a novel. Um, but I watched the first season and I liked it. It's a literary thriller and it is based in New... Well, the first season is based in New York and it's about a man, a young man in a bookstore who, um, becomes obsessed, uh, by these women who he meets in his life. Um, but there are a lot of literary references and it's sort of a literary geeky suspense show. But I really liked the first season, so I binge-watched the second season, which takes place in Los Angeles and pokes a lot of fun at uh, LA Living, which I was happy to do as well. We have also been watching as a family a lot of Great British Bake Off, which has inspired a lot of baking over here. I actually got a sourdough starter kit for Christmas, so I was Feeding that starter for about a week starting January 1st and now I'm finally making my own sourdough bread which has been so fun a little bit frustrating there's a bit of a learning curve and you put like 22 hours into the whole process and if it's not good bread it's a little bit frustrating but at least I have one type of sourdough roll figured out it always comes out good now and now I am working on baguettes, which are very hard, and I'm very impressed with the French and how they make a mean baguette, because mine was undercooked and a little mealy. And the third show that I wanted to mention was one that I actually had no interest in watching. I didn't think it looked good. Some of the reviews I read were not that good, and I'm like, you know what, let me just try and form my own opinion, And I ended up loving it and watching the whole season. Um, It is called Dickinson and it's on Apple TV and it is about Emily Dickinson, quite loosely based on Emily Dickinson's life. And it's just very, very bizarre, sort of made for literary weirdos like myself. So it feels like it was made for me. It's, It's dark, it's maudlin, it's irreverent. Emily Dickinson is this teenager who is stuck living at home. She doesn't have a lot of options because she doesn't want to get married and she really wants to be a poet, but her father thinks that's just beneath them and he's embarrassed by the whole thing. Um, She often sees death in her visions and death is, of course, played by Wiz Khalifa. And there's a lot of great music. The soundtrack is phenomenal. And, uh, so far my favorite episode was one where they host a house party because their parents go out of town, Emily and her brother and her sister. And it sort of feels very much like a high school kegger, but of course, instead of a keg of beer, they're doing drops of opium and dancing around to music in their period piece costumes So I really enjoyed it. I watched the whole thing and um, I guess other people are enjoying it as well because I just read that it was renewed for a second season. My backyard chickens are thriving in 2020. Five out of our seven chickens are now laying eggs. I recently posted a photo of the five different color eggs we receive almost every day um, on Instagram at Jennifer And if you look at that picture, you can see we sort of have a pale pink egg, a light brown egg, a dark brown egg, a light green egg, and a very deep olive-colored egg. It's just so pretty, and it's so exciting to see who is going to lay every morning when I go out there. Now on to some bookish news. I was very excited to learn over break that starting next spring, the Los Angeles Public Library System will stop charging for late fees. They are completely eliminating their late fee program on overdue books. As I've mentioned before, I had talked about how other counties are doing this around the country, Um, and people who are most likely to benefit from library use are the ones who are most adversely affected by these late library fines. And these penalties and punishments really have a disproportionate effect on the poor. So by getting rid of them, it sort of levels the playing field. Uh, There's still going to be consequences for overdue books. In Los Angeles, patrons are going to have three renewal periods, and if the book still isn't returned after 45 days, it's considered lost, and you're not going to be able to use your library card until you replace it. Reese Witherspoon has picked Kylie Reed's Such a Fun Age as her next book club pick. And I just wanted to remind everyone you heard about that book here first on episode 13. I am assuming that this book will be made into a film uh, in the very near future. Fun Home is coming to the big screen soon. I am so excited about this news. For those of you who aren't familiar with the title, Fun Home is a graphic memoir by Alison Bechdel. It's a coming-of-age story and a coming-out story of a girl raised in a funeral home. It was turned into a Broadway musical, and I saw it, and it was absolutely fantastic, and now it's going to be a movie. And Jake Gyllenhaal is slated to star as the father. I don't understand if it will be a musical or not. I don't think so, but if it is, then I'm excited because... I love musicals, except for the Cats musical, which I actually haven't seen, but I have been highly entertained by the reviews of the movie. Now onto the books. I am going to start off with a literary fiction pick, and this book is called Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, and this book came out last summer. So this is a story about two sisters who are daughters of Chinese immigrants. There's the older sister, Sylvie, who's in her early thirties. She has many impressive degrees and lives in Brooklyn with her equally impressive husband, where she works as a management consultant and gets to travel the world as part of her job. Then there's her younger sister, Amy, who's 26 and still lives at home, which is in Queens, uh, with their parents the women's parents shape their lives around Sylvie, the older sister, the more successful of the two, and they've really invested a lot in her, including uh, financial security, their own financial security, as well as a very inflated emotional attachment. So the inciting incident in this novel is that Sylvie has flown to the Netherlands to visit her dying grandmother, and then she completely falls off the radar Her husband hasn't heard from her, and her relatives in the Netherlands don't know where she is. And her sister and her parents don't have a clue either. So Amy, who's the younger sister who's been sort of a homebody her whole life, uh, goes to the Netherlands to see if she can solve the mystery of her sister's disappearance. The book's chapters alternate between Amy's quest to find her sister in the present time of the book and chapters that are told from... Sylvie's point of view leading up to her own disappearance. What Amy learns on her journey to find her sister is that Sylvie's life was not as incredible as everyone thought it was. She also unearths some pretty deep family secrets. The book is also largely about the struggles of immigrant families, both in the U.S. and also in the Netherlands, so it's interesting to see the parallels there. Um, and it was also about how hard it can be to forge new communities when you've left your home country. This is a novel about family and race and culture, and I don't want to say too much about the plot because I don't want to give anything away. It definitely feels literary, but it also has elements of a suspense novel. It's beautifully written, and there was just a lot on the page that felt very relatable. And again, that is Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok. My second pick is called The Wall by British author John Lanchester, and this was published almost a year ago to the day. It was published January 15th, 2019. So the first thing I thought of when I read this title, of course, was President Trump's pledge to build a border wall. And this, of course, is a real physical border, but the wall in this novel um, and in real life also represents so many other things like access and opportunity, and the wall in John Lanchester's novel is no less fraught with metaphor and heft. The book is about a man named Joseph Kavanaugh and he has arrived on his first day at the wall. So, in this story, this wall runs all around the island nation where people in this book live and all citizens are required to serve two years on the wall as defenders just in case of an armed invasion so their job is to keep other people from coming into their island nation Uh, we learn that there has been an event called the change um, and no this is not a book about menopause but this change refers to an extreme weather because of climate change Um, The wall also works to keep out water because the ocean water is rising. So different characters blame different people for their nation's current position. Um, A lot of this novel is an exploration of Joseph and his pontifications while he's monitoring the wall and while he's sort of being on the lookout for others who want to emigrate. Um, Joseph is considered... young and the youngs in the book are a little bit miffed at the olds in the book because they feel like the olds have caused the change but they don't have to do any time on the wall. Uh, The only way to escape your time on the wall is by becoming a breeder, um, literally breeding children. It's definitely a dystopian novel. It also has um, elements of a speculative novel. It's not a long book but I definitely felt like I read this one slowly, because I kept stopping to think about the bigger ideas of the book. I think if you are a fan of Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go, you might like this book. And I think if you are a fan of Cormac McCarthy's The Road, you might like this book. And again, that is The Wall by John Lanchester. Now on to my next book. I love stories about con artists. I recently watched the movie Catch Me If You Can with my kids over break, and they both love the story and the con man at the heart of it all. And now I need to think of other age-appropriate movies like that to show them. So if you think of any that you would like to recommend, please email me at booksaremypeople@gmail.com. at gmail.com. So I was thinking about the con artists themselves, how they are the ones that are manipulative, um, and that's the part that's very fascinating to see how they can manipulate other people. But to me, what's even more fascinating are the victims of this manipulation. Because I feel like a con job is a very symbiotic relationship to its victim. You can't have a scammer without the victim. And the writer in me is curious about what it is that makes people more likely to be vulnerable to this sort of situation. And most recently, I thought about this similar idea when reading uh, Rachel DeLoach Williams' nonfiction memoir, My Friend Anna. And this came out over the summer. So this is a true story about Rachel. She's a young woman living in New York. She's working at Vanity Fair, and she meets Anna Delvey, who is another young woman. And Anna claims to be from a very wealthy German family, um, although she has told other people that she is of Russian royalty. And she has 40,000 followers on Instagram. She loves upscale beauty treatments and often treats her friend Rachel to them. Um, And she also pays for Rachel's private training sessions, as well as very fancy meals multiple times a week. And Rachel kind of knows there's An imbalance in their relationship in terms of a power dynamic and she also feels like she just sort of has to go along with whatever Anna wants since Anna is the one uh, fronting the bill. Basically as the story goes on Rachel starts to lose herself in this relationship and things really come to a head and by the way I'm not spoiling anything because all that I'm about to talk about happens within the first chapter of the book and then we sort of ricochet back in time to the start of their friendship, um, anyhow. So all of this comes to a head when the duo take a trip with friends to Marrakesh in Morocco, and they're staying at a beautiful Riyadh with a personal butler. And Anna can't find her credit card, so she asks Rachel to please give hers to the hotel just so they can keep it on file. Um, and as soon as she finds her card, she'll be sure and take Rachel's off the bill. Well, this never happens, and. Rachel, who's just trying to scrape by with her job in New York, uh, receives a $60,000 credit card bill, and Anna is no longer anywhere to be found. And we learn that Rachel isn't Anna's only victim. So truth be told, it's not the most fascinating scam artist story out there, but it was engaging, and the only place where I felt like it fell a bit short was the author Rachel's ability to articulate her own involvement in the situation. And I don't know if this has to do with age or the fact that this happened pretty recently um, in the grand scheme of things. So to go back to this idea that I mentioned about there being a degree of symbiosis in a con job, um, I just felt like it would have been interesting for her to reflect more on the psychology behind why she was ripe for this sort of manipulation. But nonetheless, I found it a quick and interesting read, and that is Rachel Deloach Williams' nonfiction memoir, My Friend Anna. My next pick is a young adult novel that came out in September of 2019, and it's called The Grace Year by Kim Liggett. This is another dystopic novel about a 16-year-old girl named Tierney James, And in her community, people believe that girls and women harbor magic, especially when it comes to their abilities to manipulate men. So the town has a ritual whereby every year, all of the men in the village who want to get married, pick a woman to marry, and all of the 16-year-olds, it's so creepy, all of the 16-year-olds are lined up, and then the interested men present the girls they're interested in with a veil. So if you are presented with a veil, you know that your future is to marry the person without question or choice um, who hands you the veil. And if you are not presented with a veil, then you end up on a different track that includes uh, life in a labor house or far worse. So Tierney James is totally not interested in getting married. She doesn't care that she'll be in a labor camp. She just does not want to get married. Um, And to her shock and horror, she ends up receiving a veil. But whether or not you get a veil, if you're 16, you have to spend the next year before you get married, um, which is what they call their grace year, living in the woods for a full year as a means to rid themselves of their magic. So it feels a little Lord of the Rings Hunger Games style trying to survive in the woods for a year. There are many dangers out in the woods and the girls have to find their own way, make their own food, gather their own water. They have to do everything themselves. Um, But on top of just the survivalist aspects of the novel, there are also poachers who live out in the woods who are poised to steal the girls' body parts because their bodies are said to possess magic and allegedly have healing powers. So in this case, I think it's about 33 girls who go out into the woods together. And even though they all vow to make it through the ordeal together, unified, little fractures start to form within the groups. There's sort of splintering of different cliques. And this affects the young woman and their ability to stay united. It felt like A Handmaid's Tale, light. Um, and again, that is The Grace Year by Kim Liggett. My next pick also came out last summer. Clearly, I did some catching up on last year's reading over the break, and it is called Tell the Machine Goodnight by Katie Williams. This book definitely falls under my favorite subgenre of books I like to call weird and wonderful, and if you want more of those kind of books, episode number four is entirely dedicated to these sorts of books. But this one is about a woman named Pearl, who works for a company called Aprosody, which makes a machine that can tell you what you need to be happy. You just swab your cheek, and within minutes you get your result. Sort of like a 23andMe for happiness. So for some, the machine might tell you to get a dog, and if you do that, you'll be happy. For others, the machine might tell you to cut off the tip of your index finger. And no matter what it says, people listen because the machine, of course, is never wrong. Pearl has a child named Rhett, and he struggled with anorexia. Um, And there's also Pearl's ex-husband and her boss and her friend, and they're all players in this very odd novel. Um, Each chapter is told from a different character's point of view, um, and you get to hear from all of their unique perspectives. The novel reads sort of more like little vignettes from Pearl's life as opposed to a traditional linear novel, and the prose has a very dreamlike quality to it, but it makes you want to spend time with these strange people living their strange lives. And I do love a good workplace story. I generally just love the relationship between Pearl and her son. She's always trying to do the right thing for him, and even if she isn't actually doing the right thing um, her heart's in the right place. This is definitely witty satire and a commentary on technology in the age of instant gratification. And again, that is Tell the Machine Good Night by Katie Williams. And that is all from me this week. I feel like I have not recorded this podcast in so long, even though I, I think it's still, I've been on a two week schedule. It just seems like a very long time, but I am back at the library, getting a lot of books, have a lot of new releases that I am reading that I can pass along to you in the next coming months. And that is it. As always, all of these books are listed in the show notes section of the podcast, or you can visit booksaremypeople.com. If you like what you hear, please take a moment and rate this show on iTunes so that other listeners can find me. I'll be back in two weeks. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.